53 and from reading from verses 3 to 6. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And our second reading is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is God's word. morning. Well, we've each had our situations of pain and suffering, and we know of some who are going through it right now. And as I began to think about this message today, I know that anyone who has suffered loss or grief or the dehumanizing pain has at some point been confronted, and I'm sure you might agree, with people who are like the friends of Job. Friends indeed. <laughs> people who come with their cliches, super spiritual sayings and quick fixes. And they bring guilt where they should be comforting. And they speak truth, but they don't speak it with love when in fact what's needed is compassion. And they display their own strength and they tell us that we should have strength too, and we should have courage. When what would have been more comforting would have been if they had sat by us and simply wept. A guy called Mike Foster, he has uh, an organization called People of the Second Chance. And he talked about Chester Bennington, who is the lead singer of Linkin Park, a very popular band. He passed away after taking his own life. Um, he had crises in his life as well. And Mike Foster says, my job on planet Earth is to do one thing. It is to love. And he talks about not understanding what caused Chester to take his life. But he said, I just know this, that in the aftermath of such an action, it requires us to dig deep and to love at a level 
that seems impossible. And he also goes on to say that there are millions of people in the face of the criticisms that are levelled at times like this and in the face of the Job's friends, if you like, that come to us and give us all these, you know, cheer up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get over it. He says the voice, uh, these millions of people need to hear a louder voice, a voice that declares that darkness doesn't have the last say and despair doesn't have the final vote and we can be a light to the world and we can bring hope and healing and love. And isn't that what is core to being a disciple of Jesus Christ? And we cannot be that unless we are a disciple of Jesus Christ and know his mercy and his love. Don Carson, who's a pastor and a theologian, in his book, How Long, O Lord, tells us that we need to recognise that there are stages of grief and there are stages of recovery. And he says recognising these stages can help us because we gain perspective because in the middle of grief, so often we lose perspective. He says, frequently in the midst of suffering, the most comforting answers that we get are simply the presence, the help, even the silence and the tears of others with us. Jesus said in John 11, 25 to 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked, do you believe this? And perhaps at a time of reading that, it's a time also to remember that resurrection is not about avoiding death. Jesus did not avoid the death, but he rose to life again. And in a sense, even in the midst of our grief, God brings us the hope that comes out of his resurrection. And in a sense, he also offers us a resurrection. He offers us the chance to have hope again, to live again. Carson says, above all, we must help people know God better. Too often we give answers that are merely intellectual, merely theoretical, merely propositional. We must teach and counsel and pray with people so that we deepen their experiential knowledge of God. At the deepest level, men and women must learn with Job that God is very great and it is an inexpressible privilege to know him, to be satisfied with him, even when, and Carson says, especially when we do not have all the answers. These men and women will learn to rest in his love and will return again and again to the cross where the vision of that love will be constantly, constantly, constantly renewed. 
I want to talk about the suffering and bereavement and the comfort that God gives us. Timothy Keller, many of you will know, is uh, quite a well-known preacher. And he wrote a book called Walking with God Through Suffering and Pain. And he says in that, pain is not meaningless. You know, often when we're going through pain, we feel, what does this all mean? We strive for meaning. And he says, it's not meaningless. It may be unwelcome. It could be self-caused, but often it's imposed on us. But it's never meaningless. He says, God has a purpose to defeat evil so exhaustively on the cross that all the ravages of sin, all the ravages that are caused in life will someday be undone. And we, despite participating in it so deeply, will be saved. God is accomplishing this not in spite of suffering, agony, and loss, but in fact through it. And Keller says something else. He says, people who endure and get through suffering become more resilient. Have you who have been through great difficulties noticed that in your own life? He says, first, once they've learned to cope, they know they can do it again if they had to and live with less anxiety. Romans 5, 3 to 4 sums it up this way. Suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Second, it strengthens relationships, usually bonding the sufferer permanently to a set of very deep friendships and family ties that nurture and strengthen them for years to come. And third, there is a benefit uh, that's very significant. Suffering changes our priorities and philosophies. Uh, some of you know that I went through cancer uh, and battled that as well. And it was a time of reassessment because I'd reached the place where nothing could be done by me. I had no strength. I had to depend on God. And in the midst of that, I turned to him. And I had to find the new life beyond that. And he says, Keller says, I'm not saying these changes are pleasant, but they are useful and they will lead to great things if you embrace God in the midst of it. Psychologist by the name of Height says it this way, everyone operates out of a life story that integrates all the events into something that's really cohesive and vitalizing. It becomes a story of our lives. Because we want to make sense of all the things that are going on in our lives, including great pain. And he makes this observation, he says, people who have never suffered are likely to have naive stories about life's meaning. And sometimes when you've gone through great pain, you meet people like that. Sometimes they're like Job's friends. Uh, sometimes they just don't understand because they haven't been to those depths. And we feel perhaps that we would like to share where we've been spiritually. We would like to share how we feel about pain. But we know that some people, because of 
having a naive story of life because they haven't suffered a great deal simply cannot bear the burden of what we have, of what we carry. Craig Barnes wrote a book called When God Interrupts, Finding New Life Through Unwanted Change. And he talks a lot about suffering and grief. And he says this, God is always working just beyond our limits, inviting us to venture into the unknown where we are abandoned by everything, it seems, especially by our previous expectations of God. But he will use our past hurts, our long detours in the wrong directions. He will use everything. And he adds, which is a very sensible note, I think, we don't celebrate suffering, we don't prescribe it for everyone, or minimize the moral imperative to reduce suffering wherever we can. We don't want to ignore the pain that ripples out with each diagnosis of cancer. God himself is grieved at our grief. The Bible is full of cries to God. Why God? Why? And yet God is so committed to defeating evil that he helps us to not only go through suffering but to use this for good. And some of the good, you will know this yourself, I'm sure, some of the good that comes out of our suffering is the ability to empathize with other people as they suffer and to have within us, from that experience, something to offer them as well. Paul repeatedly says, our sufferings prepare us for an eternal glory. In Romans 8, 17 to 18, and in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And Peter adds that our sufferings enhance our eventual joy at the future glory. And maybe this will be, God, thank you. <laughs> thank you, I've gone through that and survived. 1 Peter 4, 13. And in Ephesians 3, 13, Paul says, his sufferings actually benefit other people. And in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, Peter explains that sufferings come so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith, which he says is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our sufferings, I guess to summarise it would be, our sufferings handled properly bring glory to God. Our sufferings handled properly cause us to develop character and faith. Our sufferings handled properly equip us to minister to others. The Bible knows a lot about pain and suffering. It knows a lot about the desert experience that we sang about. And so we find words in there that describe different aspects of pain and suffering. And I'm sure you'll know some of them. Pain, writhing pain, sorrow, straightness, which kind of reflects being deceased. Distress, 
labor pains, sick with grief, trials, torture, tribulation, pressure, anguish. And while the words used in scriptures often depict physical and emotional pain, these words also recognize that pain, loss, and, a grief, and, and grief can affect our whole person. And once again, any of, any of you who have gone through any great pain or sickness will know that it's a whole-of-life experience. It's not something that you can compartmentalize and say, well, there's my pain over there, but everything else is okay. <laughs> you might say that for a while, but it tends to leech across. Pain often challenges us. We may feel tempted to turn away from God. And after talking about how Jesus suffered and how he did this to save us, 1 Peter verses 5 and 6 says this, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You see, that is the attitude that we should take through any challenge, but particularly through pain and grief and suffering. You see, we should not humble ourselves to sickness itself. We should not humble ourselves to the tragedy itself. We should not humble ourselves to an attack of Satan. We are never told to surrender because that's not biblical. The Bible says to humble ourselves to God. Why? Well, because God is our refuge and strength. If we do not humble ourselves to our God, then we have cut off the strength and the assistance that he is willing and very able to offer us. And that leads me to think about the God who knows pain. Our reading from Isaiah 53, 3, and I'm reading from the King James Version, um, it points us forward to the coming of Jesus and it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. You see, when you think that you are isolated and it feels isolating to be in your own grief and pain, we need to remember that Jesus was a man of sorrows. And as it says here, he was acquainted with grief. He knew it. He'd been through it. And then it reminds us that there's a reason that he was so intimately acquainted with grief and sorrow. It says, surely he took our pain and he bore our sufferings. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly to us here today, the punishment that was upon him, sorry, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We have a Jesus who is not only a sufferer, but also a healer. And we are healed by him. And 1 Peter 2.24, reflecting this in Isaiah 53, says of Jesus, he bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then it emphasizes, by his wounds, you have been healed. So God is our comfort. 
God is the one who comforts the downcast, it tells us, in 2 Corinthians 7, 6. And he is the God, it says, of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5 says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we have ourselves received from God. Can you see how it we have something to pass on as much as we might want to avoid the suffering. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. There are times when we cannot carry the, the weight of the grief that we feel. It's too much. We feel it's killing us. And it's at these times that we should remember that Jesus carried our burdens and invites us to place our burdens with him. And he will carry that. And also it's time to learn the comfort and support of other believers, as Joel was mentioning earlier. It's exceedingly important that we do not resort to being stoic, of saying coldly, I can cope, or God knows best but not really tapping into what that really means. Rather, what's needed is a profound sense of love. His delight in our presence. His comfort of care and wisdom. And so we read, as I head towards the end of this sermon, some verses like this. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom? We might say also, what shall I fear? For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Or Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, and guess what? He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Or Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And don't we need to take refuge in him at these times? Nehemiah 8.10 The joy of the Lord is my strength. You may not feel a great deal of joy as you're going through these things. But as you give your life, you humble yourself to the Lord. As you give your life to him, there is no way that you will stop the joy that God wants to give you from pouring upon you and you will suddenly realize that you're not in this alone. John 14, 25 to 27. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything that I've said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. At times like these, we need the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. And he is safe. He is lovely. He is very, very helpful. And he will take away the trouble and he will take away the fear that we fear. And John 10.10 10, 
from the Amplified, Jesus said, the thief comes only to, in order to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life. They might enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. People, even in the midst of the most severe trials that you will go through or going through now, you see, Jesus' plan, his stated plan for your life is that even in the midst of that, his plan is for you to have life. The kind of life that is full of abundance, totally full, not only full to fill you, but overflowing into the lives of other people. And finding, finally, in conclusion, I want to talk about finding joy and peace, which I've just alluded to. And Craig Barnes, that I mentioned earlier as an author, says this. He says, on the other side of abandonment, all of life becomes an expression of gratitude. The journey through loss was so long and filled with pain, it cost us our lives. At the bottom of abandonment, the only thing that was left was the love of God. But to be alone with the love of God is the only way to find life again. And isn't that true? We may feel in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our pain, we may feel that we have been abandoned. We may be abandoned by those around us. It happens because they can't cope. We may feel that God has abandoned us and for a while we will feel alone and doubtful. But if we humble ourselves to God, he will begin to pour the love and the encouragement into our lives. And beyond that feeling of abandonment, as Craig Barnes says, all of life then becomes an expression of gratitude. And to be alone with the love of God is the only way to find life again. And so, with the Apostle Paul, finally, we can say, as he says in 1 Timothy 4.10, we have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially those who believe. Do you believe? And Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, we have peace, even during our most severe struggles. And we have absolute confidence that we will be with him in eternity. Jesus is the only way to find life again. And with him, all of life, as Craig Barnes says, becomes an expression of gratitude. I pray that you will find that as you cling to God, as you lean into Jesus, as you seek the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, whether you're right in a crisis at the moment or you have been or you're thinking that you might go into it right now, 
I pray that you will lean into God and that you will know this wonderful healing peace and love and refreshing and healing because he is our ultimate destination and that is our ultimate healing. Amen. Let's stand and sing to conclude our service. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I am never alone. You're, you're a good, good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. 